Well, Father, teach us again this morning what it means to be forgiven by our Savior Jesus and teach us how we can then turn and display that forgiveness as we forgive others. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how many times do you have to forgive somebody before you can stop forgiving them? And that might sound like a crass, uh, selfish question, but let's be honest, if you have a relationship with another human being for any period of time, you've asked that question on a number of occasions, especially those relationships that um, have frequent conflicts, uh, deep conflicts, uh, for those of us who struggle with those things, this is a legit question. Uh, it's a frequent question. It's a question even Jesus' disciples asked him during his earthly ministry. Uh, it's a very relevant issue, and it's one that Jesus addresses with great clarity in our passage this morning. That's what we're going to see as we uh, turn back here to Luke chapter 17. And, and what I want us to do is to consider two things this morning about that issue of forgiveness. I want to I want to show you how Jesus unpacks for us the high calling of forgiveness in the Christian life. What does Jesus call us to do? What does that look like? What does it mean? And then second, I want to show you how Jesus directs us to the power uh, to live out that high calling in our daily lives. You see, it's one thing to know what we're supposed to do, and it's another to be able to do it. And praise Jesus, he teaches us both this morning. Uh, so before we can even get to how we live it out, we need to first understand what it is. So let's turn to Luke 17, and let's just see what is Jesus's high calling of forgiveness for our lives. Look with me beginning in verse 3. Jesus says this, he says, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now, there are a number of things that Jesus teaches us here about forgiveness. And what I want to do is draw your attention to just four of them, four things uh, Jesus says here about this high calling of forgiveness. And the first is this. Forgiveness is confrontational. Forgiveness is confrontational. Now, when we hear that word confrontation, we kind of recoil a little bit, don't we? Uh, we tend to think negatively about the whole concept of confrontation and confronting other people. We generally try to avoid confrontation, don't we? Because it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for the person that we confront. And uh, that makes it uncomfortable for us who, who do the confronting. And we just kind of think it's going to make things worse. Let's just kind of back off and, and, and let it stay. But that's not what Jesus calls us to do here. He calls us to confront. He calls us to confront a person when they've sinned against us. Look again at verse 3. Jesus says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And by brother, he just means another, another a human being. That's confrontation. A rebuke confronts a person with their sin and calls them to accept responsibility for it 
and to repent of it. And that's not, listen, that is not an unloving thing to do. That's not an ungracious thing to do. That's not a judgmental thing to do. It's just the opposite. Listen to how Proverbs 27 puts it. Just listen to this. Listen to every word of this and how this pushes back against our recoil from confrontation. Proverbs 27, better is an open rebuke than hidden love. I put that in quotations here. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So do you you see how it's just the opposite of how we tend to think about confrontation? We think it's going to be bad, it's unloving, it's ungracious. This says it's just the opposite. Not confronting a person is unloving. Not helping them to repent is ungracious. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. That is Jesus' calling to us to confront, to rebuke others when they've sinned. But now does that mean that we need to go around every time we see somebody sinning, confronting that person and calling them to repent? That's, that's not what Jesus means. He doesn't mean that we uh, need to confront every sin every time somebody does it. It doesn't mean that at all. Jesus is not talking about sin in general here. He's talking specifically about sins that are against us. I mean, you see that right there. He says, if he sins against you seven times in a day. So we're not going around rebuking everybody for every sin they happen might commit. Uh, We're only confronting those sins, those individuals who have sinned directly against us, interpersonal sins. But even then, this is important, even then, not every sin against us has to be confronted in this way. That's not what Jesus means by this. Not each and every sin committed against us has to be directly confronted in this way. Some sins, in fact, a great many sins, can just be overlooked. Not excused or condoned, but overlooked. That's what the Bible calls, um, let love cover a multitude of sins. Let love, your love for that person, cover a multitude, not just a few, right, occasionally, but a multitude of sins can be overlooked. We're not condoning it, we're not excusing it, but we are absorbing the pain from it and we're saving those confrontations for times that we really have to confront them. Because some sins really have to be confronted. We can't just uh, let them pass. We can't just overlook them with love, especially those that do great damage to the relationship. Some sins, some offenses are just too big to overlook. They they may be sins that are hurting the person who's offending you. And so for their good, we address them. Or maybe they're hurting somebody else tangentially in the relationship. Uh, Maybe it's something that significantly dishonors Jesus. And you can think of any number of examples of sins we just can't overlook. You you think of in a marriage of, of adultery. 
uh, or, or physical abuse. Um, some words that we say to each other cut so deeply, they just, they have to be addressed. Some offenses you just can't overlook, and, and Jesus calls us to confront those sins by rebuking the offender. And, and, and not as a tit for tat, right? Not, not as a way of, of harming the offender, of getting back at them, but always and only as, as a way of helping them, of helping them see their sin, to turn from it, to heal the relationship. The goal in doing this is reconciliation. You want to forgive them, and in order to do that, you've got to confront them about what's happened. So that's the first thing Jesus tells us here about forgiveness is that it's confrontational. Forgiveness is confrontational. Second, Jesus tells us forgiveness is conditional. In a sense. Okay? Conditional in a sense. And, and I say in a sense because there, there is a sense in which forgiveness is, is not conditional at all. Right? Forgiveness doesn't say things like, oh, okay, I'll forgive you as long as you never ever do that again. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Maybe you've said that, or you've heard somebody say that to you. I'll forgive you if you promise to do this, or if you promise never to do that. See, they're adding conditions to forgiveness that erase the forgiveness. That's not forgiveness. That's certainly not how God forgives us. I mean, aren't you thankful that God doesn't come to you and say, all right, I'll forgive you as long as you never ever do that again? we would all be in a world of trouble uh, because none of us would be forgiven because we've all done it again and again and again. Um, forgiveness is not conditional in that sense. However, there is a real sense in which it's very much conditional. It is entirely conditioned on repentance. That we have to ask for forgiveness in order to be forgiven. Look at, just look at verse 3. Just watch. This is a conditional a conditional goes, if, then. All right, Jesus says, if he repents, then forgiven. So it's right there. It's a conditional. Even grammatically, it's a conditional. If he repents, then you forgive him. And by implication, if he doesn't repent, then you can't. You can't forgive somebody who never asks you for forgiveness. And that's just how it works with God. Right? He doesn't forgive somebody who never repents and turns to Jesus. You can't forgive somebody who never asks to be forgiven. I like the illustration Chris Bronze gives in his uh, helpful book, Unpacking Forgiveness. He likens forgiveness to a handshake. You know, you can extend your hand to the other person all you want, but if they never extend theirs, then there's no handshake. You can and you should extend the offer of forgiveness all day long. But until the other person repents and asks to be forgiven, extends that hand, it, forgiveness just can't happen. It is, it is conditional on repentance. And that doesn't mean that we have to like that. We don't get our kicks from that. We should have an ever-ready posture 
to forgive. The moment they extend their hand, we are ready to take it. We are ready to extend forgiveness. We're eager to extend forgiveness. We extend the offer of forgiveness. That's our posture. But until the person repents, until the person asks to be forgiven, that transaction can't happen. Which is why we need to pray for those that we're at odds with. That God would work in their hearts that there could be forgiveness and reconciliation. Third, Jesus teaches us that forgiveness has no cap. Forgiveness has no cap. And what he says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and he turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. I use a lot of data on my cell phone. I'm, I'm always sending emails. I'm, I'm working on documents. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm getting tangled in YouTube videos that I didn't mean to click on. And there I am watching the Flex Seal commercials for an hour. You know, you know what I'm talking about if you've clicked on YouTube. So one of the things that to make sure uh, I did whenever we got our cell phone plan was I, I had to pick a plan that didn't have a cap on data. Because what happens is if you have a data cap, then you get this allotment of data. And then once you use that allotment, um, you hit your cap and you're done. There's no more data. You're out of it. Or they charge you out the wahoo if you go over it, right? So I had to make make certain that that my plan did not have a data cap. And when it comes to forgiveness, we need to take the very same approach. Because there is no such thing as a cap on forgiveness. We don't allot to other people a maximum number of occasions in which we're willing to forgive them. I mean, that's just what Jesus says. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and he turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you've got to forgive him. Now, he's not saying seven is the cap, right? So some of you are like, I could do that. (laughs) Seven, I can make it. Uh, That's not his point. Uh, The number seven is just representative of a lot of times. It's like saying, forgive them over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Is that seven? You get the point? And, and we know that's what Jesus means because there's a parallel to this passage in Matthew 18. Peter actually asked Jesus to clarify that. Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, how often uh, will my brother sin against me and I have to forgive him? As many as seven times? So is that the cap, Jesus? Just seven? Can I, can I stop at seven? And Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. So just 490 times. That's all that you got to do. 490, then that's your cap. Now, that's not the point, is it? The point is it's an inexhaustible number of times. There's no cap on forgiveness. Now, just just think about that for a second. That means that we shouldn't be shocked when people sin against us more than once. We shouldn't be shocked even if they sin against us repeatedly with the same kinds of sins. I mean, if you're married and you have kids 
If you have any ongoing relationship with another human being, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's going to happen often. You need to be prepared to be sinned against. <coughs> and you need to be prepared to forgive those sins again and again and again and again. Just like, by the way, just like you need to be forgiven again and again and again. Now, I know the objection to this. Doesn't that excuse the, pers- the person's sin? Doesn't that even, even encourage them to take advantage of this, to exploit this? Doesn't that mean that a person can just sin against you as much as they want? They just throw in that little word, sorry, and they can just keep doing it. That's not what this means. Not even close. Look again carefully at what Jesus says. Look at his wording. If he sins against you seven times in a day and turns, and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. There's got to be repentance. A person who makes no effort, like no effort, to stop sinning against you has not repented. I mean, they might say the words, they might give a lip service to it, but repentance goes beyond words, doesn't it? It, it? it evidences itself in our behavior. It shows itself, like you can see it, in a change in our behavior, or, or at least in a genuine attempt to change that behavior. But that's the mark of genuine repentance. And so Jesus isn't just, you know, making you a a doormat to be walked over. In some of your relationships, you might have to say to somebody, look, I understand that you've said you're sorry, and I want to extend forgiveness to you, but we need to talk about what sorry actually means. What does it mean to really repent? What does it mean to ask for forgiveness? Maybe I've not done enough to help you with this. How can I be a part of you growing and changing in this area? But until that happens, this isn't working. There has to be change. Or, or maybe you're hearing this and you're realizing, I need to change. I've been abusing the system, as it were, and just throwing out the sorry word and continuing to treat somebody in this way. Repentance, real repentance, displays itself in change. But now that said, we also need to realize that that doesn't happen overnight. That kind of change takes time. A person who struggles with anger, right? Doesn't just go to bed and wake up the next day, boom, I don't struggle with anger anymore, right? They're still going to lose their temper, okay? But the mark of repentance, of genuine repentance, is that they're working on it. They're taking steps to battle anger. They're they're maybe becoming um, better at controlling their temper over time, as we help them with those things, as God helps and works in their life with these things. It takes time. Growth and change in a relationship takes time, which means it's also going to take patience and grace from those who are sinned against. 
Which then brings us to the last thing Jesus says here about forgiveness, namely, forgiveness is a choice. It is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. It is not a feeling. Look at verse 4. If he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So you hear the imperative there. This is not optional. This is a must. Jesus doesn't call us to forgive other people only when we feel like forgiving them, right? And that's true for any area of obedience in our lives, right? I mean, you don't tell the truth only when you feel like telling the truth, right? You don't respect authority only when you feel like respecting authority. You know, it's tax season. Now, imagine if you told the IRS next month that you didn't send in your taxes because you really didn't feel like it, right? How is that going to work for you? They're going to write you a letter saying, I don't care how you feel, right? We need your money so that we can go. (laughs) Okay, I'll stop right there because I can go on for a little while about something else. But you understand the point I'm making. It doesn't matter how you feel the taxes are due. You have an obligation to send them in. It doesn't matter if you don't feel like telling the truth. God says, tell the truth. It doesn't matter if you don't feel like staying faithful to your spouse. You stay faithful to your spouse. And we could give any number of examples of this. Sometimes you just have to do the things that you don't feel like doing. And, and besides, if, you know, if, we, if, we, if we think we're going to wait until we magically feel like forgiving somebody, we're going to be waiting for a very long time, especially if we're hurt very deeply. How often do you feel like forgiving somebody when you're hurt? That's why forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a choice. And Jesus calls us to make that choice, to extend forgiveness, even when we don't feel like it. Now, is it a, is it a good thing that we don't feel like forgiving other people? No. no. I mean, like we should be eager to love and forgive other people, just like God eagerly loves to forgive us. But neither is an excuse for withholding forgiveness from other people. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a decision that we make to forgive the person and to act like it. It's a conscious decision that we make to think about the person and to speak to that person and to act toward that person in a way that reflects the way Jesus forgives us in the gospel. We're not going to keep bringing it back up to them and using it to hurt them. We're not going to gossip about these things. We're not going to put all these conditions on them. We're going to forgive them like Jesus forgives us in the gospel. So this is what Jesus teaches us here about forgiveness about what it is, how we do it. And I don't think it's hard to understand. I think this is very plain. It's very easy to understand. But listen, it is extremely difficult to do, especially if you are deeply hurt and deeply offended in a relationship, which is, which is why Jesus doesn't just teach us what the high calling of forgiveness is. He also teaches us about the power that he provides for us to live it out in our daily lives. 
This is the last thing we're going to consider this morning, and it's not going to take long. So look with me briefly at verses 5 and 6. At the power to live out this high calling of forgiveness in our lives. Look at what Jesus says. What's the response from the disciples as they hear this? The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you have faith, like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you're wondering how in the world am I going to be able to put this into practice this week with that person that I'm at odds with, I want you to be encouraged by these two verses. Because even the apostles asked that question. Even the apostles struggled with this too. I mean, they understood what Jesus was saying. They understood the high calling of forgiveness. And listen, they felt just as inadequate as you and me. Now, why, why is that encouraging? You know, I thought that was encouraging. This seems, well, here's why that's encouraging. It's encouraging because it means you don't have to be an apostle to live out this high calling. This isn't something only the so-called super-Christians are able to do. They're not like the forgiving Christians and then everybody else. Watch how Jesus unpacks that. What do the apostles ask for in order to live out this high calling of forgiveness? What do they ask for? Verse 5, what are they asking for? In order to do that, what do they ask for? They ask for more faith, right? The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And what's the underlying assumption of that request? Well, the assumption is that in order to forgive people, like Jesus just said, you'd have to have huge amounts of really strong faith or else you'll never be able to do that. That's the assumption. Maybe that's what you were thinking. I just don't have enough faith to do this. So that's what the apostles were thinking. So they asked, just give us more faith so that we can, we can do this. And look at how Jesus turns that assumption totally on its head. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed. Now, the mustard seed was the smallest seed known in that day. It was this itty-bitty little seed. If you had faith like that, you had that much faith, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea and it would obey you. So you see what he just did? All right, his answer isn't, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to increase your faith. And then I'll bring you up to that level of faith that you'll be able to forgive other people. He doesn't do that, does he? What he says is this. He says, you don't need an increase of faith to obey this. You don't need super strong like, there's not this level that you have to reach in order to be able to obey me to forgive other people, to live a life of forgiveness. You don't need an increase of faith to live out that calling. Even the slightest measure of faith, as small as this little, little tiny grain of mustard seed, that's enough for you to be able to do this for you to be able to forgive other people, even other people who sin against you repeatedly. 
I think the illustration of, of picking up trees, you know, with your words and casting them into the sea, and that's obviously that's hyperbole. But the point Jesus is making isn't. And the point is this. It's not the, it's not the amount of your faith or the strength of your faith that enables you to forgive other people. The mere presence of faith at all, even the smallest degree, is enough to give us the power to live a life of forgiveness with others. And you know why that is? You know why that little tiny mustard seed faith is enough? Because it's not the strength of our faith that provides the power. It's the object of our faith. It's the one in whom we believe who supplies the grace that we need to be able to extend grace and forgiveness to others. Because when we're united to Jesus, we're united to all that he gives us to live out the Christian life. And it's not just the ones who are really strong in their faith that get united to Jesus. Any believer from the newest or the weakest to the strongest and most mature, any believer, they're equally united to Jesus and have in him all they need to live out the Christian life. See, because it's not the strength of our faith that saves us or empowers us. It's Jesus. I love the way Tim Keller illustrates this in his book, The Reason for God. He says, imagine you're on a high cliff and you lose your footing and you begin to slip. You begin to fall. And just as you're falling, you look over and you see beside you a branch sticking out of the very edge of the cliff. A strong branch. A branch that's, that's more than capable of holding your weight. And you see that branch and you think that, that could work, but you're not sure. You've got your doubts about it. You're not certain it'll actually hold it. It could break off. But even in her doubts, you reach out and you grab hold of that branch and you hang on. Now, here's the question. Are you saved from the fall? The answer is yes. And it's not because of the strength of your faith in the branch, but because of the strength of the branch that upholds you. See, even, even weak faith in a strong branch will save you. Even, even faith as small as, as a tiny little mustard seed. And so the, the question that, that all of this leaves us with this morning is this. Not do we have enough faith to be united to Jesus and to be able to live out this high calling of forgiveness. The question rather is this, do you have faith at all? So how would you answer that this morning? You sitting here, right here, right now, how would you answer that? 
Where's your faith? Is it in Jesus? Not asking about the strength of your faith. I'm asking, do you have any at all? Are you trusting in him to forgive you of your sins? If that's not you this morning, do you understand he is extending that branch? He is extending the offer. He's holding out to you the offer of himself to forgive you, to reconcile with you, to make you his own. He's not saving you because of how strongly you reach out and take hold of him. He'll save you because of how strongly he reaches out and takes hold of you. Now, how would you answer the question? He's offering you this morning his grace, and not just to be forgiven of your own sins, but grace to forgive those who sinned against you. If you'll receive him by faith, not trusting in the strength of your faith, but trusting in the strength of your Savior. And so will you trust him this morning? That's where we close. Will you trust him? Look to him in faith to be forgiven and find in him the faith to forgive others. Let's pray. And so, Jesus, that is our prayer, that you would support us, that you would be strong for us, because we can't be strong enough for ourselves. And so just by sheer faith, receiving and resting in you, we pray that you would forgive us of our sins and all of the power from your Holy Spirit. May it flow through us to be able to extend grace to others as we love and forgive them and forgive others as you've forgiven us. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.